0: Welcome to Technology Revolution, The Future of Now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Thank you very much. That's the voice of Ryan Treasure, now the Executive Vice President of Voice America World Talk Radio. This is the future of now. We're here with the seventh week, seventh part of my special annual 2000, actually 2022, prediction special. I promise you, savvy visionaries, I've got eight of them today. If you're on LinkedIn and Facebook watching us live, we are here and we are ready to share some interesting predictions. But first, I have my opening monologue, and I think you'll find us interesting. Movie buffs especially. Listen up. The buzz today comes from vintage and what I call almost vintage, classic and almost classic movies, number one. I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet, but your kids are going to love it. Uh-huh. Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox, who, by the way, is on the cover of, I admit, AARP Magazine. Yes, I get it. Movie, Back to the Future, 1985 sci-fi <laughs> film, buzz number two. Matt like that. Buzz number two, what are we going to do? The question isn't, what are we going to do? The question is, what aren't we going to do? You all know that was Sloan, first question, played by Mia Sara, and Ferris, played by Matthew Broderick. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, 1986, teen comedy film. I think it was more than just a teen comedy film, but that's just me. Buzz number three, To Infinity and Beyond, Buzz Lightyear, voiced by Tim Allen. Toy Story, of course, 1995, computer animated Comedy film, buzz number four, just keep swimming, 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 just keep swimming. I could do this for an hour and we wouldn't have a show. That's Dory, the forgetful Blue Tang, voiced by Ellen DeGeneres. Finding Nemo, 2003, another computer animated adventure adventure film. And buzz number five, I'm almost done, someday. That's a dangerous word. It's really just a code for never. Oh, that's so heavy. Roy Miller, played by Tom Cruise, the movie Night, K-N-I-G-H-T, and Day 2010 action comedy film. So speaking of crystal ball, because that's what we're going to do today, could you, and I'm asking my eight panelists, and you could shake your head yes or no, could you have predicted that today, 22 years into a new millennium, we are still quoting Marty? Ferris and Sloan, 35 years after their movies. Okay. We're still quoting Buzz Lightyear 25 years later to infinity and beyond. We're still quoting Dory 15 years after she was swimming around. And we're still quoting Roy 10 years later. Hmm. Hmm. If you, now I'm speaking to our audience, if you're hoping to gaze into a crystal ball to see what 2022 holds for your community, your company, your industry, and the world at large, we've got the next best thing. Today is week seven, as I said, of my 2022 Crystal Ball Prediction Special. And in total, over these seven episodes, I brought you, I will be bringing you, more than 60 thought leaders. That's a lot of people covering the exciting technologies, strategies, and trends that can help you grow and compete, if that's what you want to do, in 2022. 22 and beyond so we're live today it's january 26th where is the year going already i hate to say that we have eight visionaries talking about the year ahead and maybe beyond so here's my message to our listeners and our viewers pour a cup of joe a cup of earl that's the easy part if you've got any jack well we're not watching so we don't know if you got any baileys left over a little dram wouldn't be bad. Or any dom, okay. And join us for Technology Revolution, the future of now 2022 Crystal Ball Predictions, Week 7 Live. I'm Bonnie DeGram. And if you can't tell, I'm so thrilled to be here. And my message is working together. Let's make 2022 a hell of a better year. So let's go with, let me introduce my guests. I want you all, I'm going to do a brief intro for you. Just raise, wave your hand when I call you so people will know who you are. Brenna Berman. Brenna is the CEO and founder of Exec and founder of and executive director of City Tech, an urban solutions accelerator that tackles problems too big for any single sector or organization to solve alone. And she served as Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel's chief information officer for the city and commissioner for the Department of Innovation and Technology. Brenna, welcome. We have Don DeLoach. Don's on so many shows in the all year long. He's a leading industry evangelist for IoT, the Internet of Things. You should all know that by now. He's a managing partner and co-founder of Rocket Wagon Venture Studios. If I'm reading, it, I get it right, Don. So forgive me when I get the words mixed up. He's bringing cyber physical solution startups from the MVP stage to commercialization. He serves on the executive committee of the National Science Foundation's Array of Things Project for Smart Cities. I want to hear about that. Donna McAleer is here. She is the executive director of the Bicycle Collective. Welcome Donna. It's a Utah nonprofit promoting cycling as an effective, sustainable, and affordable form of transportation and recreation. And guess what? It's also a cornerstone of a Cleaner, healthier, and safer society, and that feeds into a smart cities topic as well. Donna is a West Point graduate, a former U.S. Army officer, and served on the U.S. Defense Advisory Council for Women in the Service. Welcome, Donna. We have John Tebow, John Way, Wave, Way, Wave. He's a an award winning author, novelist, and screenwriter. He's only written more than 20 screenplays. He's only written three novels. My goodness, I wish you would do something, John. He's a member of the Mystery. John, you can smile now. He's a member of the Mystery Writers of America and the international thriller writers. Welcome, John. Ursula Wong is here. She's a frequent guest during the year. Hi, Ursula. She writes gripping stories about, I love this, strong women who battle impossible odds to achieve their dreams. We could do a whole show on that, but I think we will. Her Amber War series of historical novels chronicle the relationship between Russia and her neighbors since the Soviet occupation of Lithuania during World War II. Very serious topics. Ursula, welcome. We have BJ Magnani, PhD, MD, lots of titles there. She is a professor of anatomic and clinical pathology at Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston, of course. She has used her knowledge of toxicology to create medical thriller novels featuring Dr. Lily Robinson, who doubles as an assassin for the government. Let that sink in. BJ <laughs> works in toxicology, and she knows all about poisons, and they figure into her novels, and they're very exciting. I'm watching 24 for the first time now and seeing who is and who isn't on which side. of Yes, we know all about that. Thank you, BJ. And last, of course, but not least, we have Sylvie Lachkar. Sylvie, welcome. Sylvie runs the SAP Social Selling Program for EMEA. Those of you not familiar, it's Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and she manages the social amplification of the SAP Digital Transformation Office thought leadership content. I am so thrilled to have you all here. Let's get started. I'm putting Brenna Berman up first. Brenna, welcome. So happy to have you here. And I'm gonna put you on full screen speaker view. Let's hear your predictions. You've got, well, since there are only eight of you, you got four minutes, so stretch
2: Ooh. it. Brenna, you're up, go ahead. Thanks, Bonnie, Happy New Year. Um, so my focus has been on, I think, the um, untimely prediction that cities are dead. The cities have certainly struggled for the last two years. Uh, COVID had a particularly strong hit on dense inner cores. None of us are going to offices anymore, but I think the idea that cities are dead is not what's gonna be happening. I think in the next year and beyond, we're going to see cities going through a renaissance and a boom, but probably not our biggest cities. Cities like New York, San Francisco are gonna continue to struggle. But mid-sized cities that may not offer the quantity of cultural events or restaurants, et cetera, but that offer a stronger um, work-life balance and community balance are going to be growing. So I think you're going to see shifts in the population of the U.S. Um, You'll also see those cities reorganize how they're structured. Right. The U.S. is very used to a central downtown where we all go to work during the day and we go home to our neighborhoods and our suburbs at the end of the day. Um, And you're going to see that changing. You're already seeing that change in places like Barcelona and Paris, where um, you see people focusing on development to achieve like the 15 minute block where everything you need in your life, your job, your school, your community organizations are within a 15 minute walk or bike ride. Um, bikes are key to that, that sort of model. Um, and so as those cities reorganize technology is critical, right? The cities that win this resurgence are going to be the ones that can um, be responsive, To the needs of their current residents and the new ones moving in and that responsiveness is driven by technologies like iot that can collect data and let the city understand their customer if you will Um, analytics for you know deep understanding of improving city operations um, and AR and VR to drive stronger engagement for those residents with their government and community groups and, you know, academic institutions. So um, technology is going to be the backbone of achieving those new models as cities sort of surge back into life after a pretty difficult time during COVID. So I'm, I'm very bullish on on urban growth in the next year or so.
1: Thank you, Brenna. Very, very interesting. Uh, I usually don't do this on these shows, but does anybody have any comments or questions for Brenna? Anybody? Uh, Donna, she mentioned transportation and safe cities mm-hmm. and smart cities. Anything you want to say about bikes, Donna, in response to what Brenna said? I'm, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I just did. Donna, I know you can
3: handle it. Go ahead. Um, I'm in complete agreement with Brenna. Cycling is going to be the future of urban transportation around the world. Mm-hmm.
1: There we go. Thank you very much, Brenna. And I know your son, your children are home from school. Yes. And I know you have to drop, but I'm glad you could join us. Stick around for a little bit if you want to hear yeah. some more predictions. We're very yeah. happy to have you here. Don DeLoach, let's get you up, present and center and accounted for. Don is on so many shows with me during every year for the past few years. And he brings me very interesting guests, speakers on an array of the future of fill in the blank topic. So, Don, I'm very happy you s- accepted this invitation. Let's hear what you have to say, Don. Sure. Go for it. Oh,
0: thanks for having me. Pleasure. Okay. So, uh, my prediction will probably reflect the true millennials that I have become. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, the Internet of Things and by extension cyber physical transformation is going to become more important over the coming year on a broader scale due to the existential trend of the metaverse. So you hear people talking about the metaverse, depending upon who, what people you're talking to, you may be more or less inclined to hear it, but the metaverse is the real deal. It, it is not gonna go away. So why do I believe this? So the progression to a hyperconnected society is unmistakable and it's not turning around. Corporations know they have to adapt while some are moving faster than others, of course. The imperative remains intact. And the Internet of Things has evolved more slowly and has had many pitfalls and disappointments because the solution architectures were, for the longest time, much more pedestrian, much less elegant than they should have been. Uh, A peer-to-peer approach to delivering IoT solutions really became an impediment that wasn't necessarily recognized on a a broad scale. Um, But this is changing. Uh, uh, and, and it's changing pretty quickly. So, so organizations are realizing that, um, first of all, there's a growing interest in embrace of the metaverse that is going to impact the trajectory of the embrace of IoT and in hyper- in cyber-physical uh, solutions. And the reason is that the underlying data, um, the, the, the value in these systems is the data, so the hyperconnected transformation is underpinned by the data, and that's the key to leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning, and, and the key to moving to an autonomous society, transportation, living, working. And the more effectively the data is secured, governed, curated, and thoughtfully propagated, the more helpful that will be for the realization of the metaverse. So as the metaverse makes its way into business collaboration, social collaboration, healthcare collaboration and more, the more accurate and rich the underlying data is and the more the better baseline that's established as a result of that. So the the to net it out, the progression to the metaverse is going to heighten the awareness and importance of the progression of IoT and cyber physical transformations.
1: Interesting, interesting. Anybody have any questions for Don? Are we already living in the metaverse, Don, even if we're not calling it that? Is anybody still calling it the universe? Is anybody calling that social channel meta instead of the one that starts with the letter F? Have we, we converted or transformed to that? Yeah. What's the official word on that, Don? Any comments?
0: There's a, a ways to go. We're not, we're not there yet. I mean, if you're a gamer, you you probably believe that you're there. But but the metaverse is, is really going to be about so much more than just you know, playing Fortnite or whatever your kids are playing, um, it, it is going to make its way into the business world, the social world. Um, you know, when you see uh, aging in place, the role of the metaverse is, is going to have you know monstrous implications for things like that. So, the the trend is real. Um, there's a ways to go. There's standards to evolve. There's all kinds of of governance and and legal issues and things that will have to take place. But the trend is unmistakable.
1: Thank you very much. Let's move on. Donna McAleer. Donna, let's bike into the future with you or wherever you want to take us. Donna, could you just briefly talk a little more about your military service? I think people will really be interested in that and then do your prediction because we have time.
3: Donna. Thanks so much, Bonnie. Uh, Sure. I graduated from West Point in the uh, mid eighties. I was one of the early classes of women at West Point. Uh, Women now make up more than 23% of our active duty forces. And uh, a big plug to all the Army women out there, this weekend we will graduate the 100th woman from the US Army Ranger School. It is the Army's most elite uh, small unit training course. Um, And that changed in 2015 when the Secretary of Defense, Ash Carter, Uh, repealed the combat exclusion rule, opening up all positions and billets across the armed forces, regardless of gender. So um, in just uh, over seven years, we have uh, our 100th graduate coming on board. So that was pretty exciting. Thank you, very exciting. Some of us, many of us were applauding either
1: virtually or or physically, visually, there you go. Donna, let's hear your
3: predictions so my predictions have all to do with bikes bikes and more bikes so uh, coming off uh, the 12 months between october 19 2019 and october 2020 we saw 45 percent growth in the cycling industry um, and obviously that was due to a lot of the COVID restrictions that were in place where people were looking for more opportunities to exercise and recreate at home and in their neighborhoods Uh, the following 12 months between october 20 and october 21 we only saw about a three percent growth however my prediction is we're going to see continued demand through 2022 and likely 23 and 24 and that's really driven by the growth in the e-bike segment we have it's an electronic bike Uh, we have a growing population an aging population who's looking to and looking for more family-friendly access. Um, A really cool thing is that at the federal level, um, right? Politics are involved in everything, whether we like it or not, but if the Build Back Better Act ever gets passed, um, what we're gonna see is a refundable credit for individuals up to $900 on e-bikes There's also included in that an $81 a month bike credit for people who bike commute. So there's a lot of things going on in the bike industry at all levels. Uh, The Infrastructure Investment Act is providing cities an opportunity to make cities, you know, safer streets, safer to mitigate concerns for cyclists. So we're going to see continuing demand in the bike industry. My second one is cycling is gonna become the future of urban transportation around the the world. Um, We heard the first guest talk about that. Cities, municipalities, counties will need to invest in collaborative, active transportation plans to maximize the utilization of public roadways and resources to better protect health and safety, as well as, as our Um, areas are growing to be more centric within a 15 minute radius. It makes a lot more sense for people to get on a bike, get the physical benefits, as well as help improve the the environmental aspects. Um, And with biking, there's never a problem with parking. So it's also a much more time efficient means of transportation. And that's gonna spur a low increase in local business and love of one city and town. When you bike in an urban area, you interact differently with the businesses, the shops that are on the street level or around. You're more likely to stop into a local coffee shop or boutique when you're on a bike and you don't have to deal with parking. Um, The third prediction is Transportation is gonna remain a formidable barrier to economic mobility. Um, Transportation and housing go together and access to just about everything associated with upward mobility and economic progress, whether that's jobs, uh, food, goods, healthcare, schooling, relies on the ability to get around in an efficient way and at an affordable price. Mm and while public transportation does provide critical connections um, particularly for people without access or um, economic ability to a vehicle a lot of uh, projects around housing stability are need to be located near public transit nodes so the great thing is that Practical and affordable, a bike continues to contribute to economic well-being, emotional stability, and physical health, and it's a simple, eco-friendly transportation option. So, I encourage you to uh, look at getting a bike. Uh, the big growth has been people returning to biking who haven't biked in years, and while the demand while the demand remains strong for new bikes, I encourage you to check out your local collectives and co-ops. We refurbish bikes by the thousands each year, and whether you're looking for that road, gravel, uh, commuter, mountain, hybrid bike, um, a lot of our collectives around the country have those refurbished bikes at great prices. Donna, thank you.
1: And for some reason, you just triggered my memory of when I learned to ride a two-wheel bike. And my family had a, a summer house. My dad was a physician, a radiologist way back in the day before all the fancy medicine. And we had a summer house about an hour away so he could get away in the summer on the water, uh, on a canal. And I remember I had a little, he got me a bike and I painted it pink and blue. Don't ask me why. I wanted it, I had a project on painting. And he would, we had a long driveway and he would start just by holding the bike and pushing me a little bit in the driveway. And then at some point he would let go and see if I could balance. And on the third try, I was off and running. Donna, the the experience, I remember the feeling, the rush of independence. And it wasn't freedom. I wasn't being free. I loved my family. I had a great life. But the point was that that feeling that I can ride a bike, I can balance, I can go, I can ride down the block, I can go see my friends. It was such a rush. Do you think people, does anybody here remember their learning how to ride a bike? Sylvie does, John does. Don, do you remember? Matt every, isn't that funny? We never talk about. (laughs) Donnie, we need to get a book or a blog going on. Do you remember your
3: first experience learning to ride a two wheel bike? What do you think? I think that's an awesome idea and we're gonna do that um, on our new web platform and it's funny you share Shared that because yesterday um, two bikes came into our collective that were donated and I was telling my head mechanic the very first bike I my parents bought me once I learned to ride was this bright yellow Raleigh bike. But then the first bike, road bike, I bought after I got my first job was a Motor Bacan. And we were, we were talking about kind of the trends in the industry. So um, you're exactly right. I mean, I kind of saw everybody light up remembering their first bike and bikes are about confidence, about freedom, about adventure. Um, When we give kids bikes, we gave away a little over 400 during the holiday season to youth um, around the state. Um, The smiles, the excitement, not all of them know how to ride, but I bet they're all riding right now. Yes, and Sylvie wants to add something. Sylvie, I was just
1: gonna ask you.
4: Uh, Yeah, uh, well, I'm speaking as the silly French living in Paris, and um, um, I mean, I'm riding a bike, but I drive a car, and uh, there are scooters, there are bikes, there are cars uh, in an overflowed city, and I think we we need also to find rules between all those vehicles, uh, because, Mm -hmm. for example, in Paris, bikes never respect uh, red lights. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's dangerous. It's dangerous. You have uh, they they just you know going all the way like this, and we have to find a way to respect each other and to be together
1: in the city. Thank you very much, and I, that has to be part of integrating bikes, any kind of new transportation. Uh, Donna, the the. the other vehicle of choice in my community, I'm in a 55 plus, I'll only admit to that much, are golf carts. And we have, we still have little parades here on different holidays. And you see the golf carts going up and down the streets and you get two people in the front, maybe one person on the back seat facing, and you've got flags and you've got decorated and they have little seats in the front for their little dogs. And it's so cute. We could do a whole show. Donna, we are gonna do a show on transportation. Thank you so much for sparking some good ideas. And I'd love to contribute my early bike story to your your website. So. Let let me know. Let's move to uh, John Tebow. You are up, my friend. So let's talk to our first novelist on the panel.
5: John, welcome. Hey, thank you. Um, glad to be back. I, I just want to keep talking about bikes, you know. Sure, sure. <laughs> See what we started. I, I actually just have I have a couple of comments because as you as you were saying this, Donna, it just sort of sparked a couple of things. So I taught my kids to ride bikes. You know, when they were like little kids, of course. And one of the things is, I think the uh, the instruction set is quite different now than it used to be. Like you said, our parents put us on a bike and then pushed and said, have a nice day. And <laughs> what uh, what I learned was there was something that I read that said, when the kid is falling, they fall or they should steer in the direction of the fall. Meaning if you start falling to the left, you know, as you lose your balance, steer to the left and it's counterintuitive but that actually quickly teaches you to learn how to ride more quickly and easily so we did that with all our kids and of course they learned pretty, pretty fast and I thought that you know we now have this knowledge about how we do things um, one other story I just wanted to share was in our local community here in California um, the town like many other cities and towns put in bike paths everywhere uh, and set up bike paths to make it easier for people to get around which I think is a great idea um, and as the again, as our, our kids are in high school and just off to college recently, but um, so I had these like ten or fifteen bikes and scooters and all this stuff, and checked with the local high school and said, look, um, one of the teachers had said, oh by the way, you know, we could accept donations of used bikes, and I thought, good, at least we're not going to trash them, right? So he ends up asking me what I have. I give him pictures, send it over to him, and um, he uh, takes the bikes and starts refurbishing them and one story that was particularly touching I found was that there was a uh, a a disabled individual who had to walk to school from I guess Redwood City or something which is you know four or five miles from where the the Menlo Atherton High School is and um, had a really really tough time and he ended up getting one of the scooters that we donated and the teacher came back to me probably two months later and said this absolutely changed his life and i thought wow how touching i mean it isn't just like hey here's a bike have a nice day it was really that contribution gave the kid exactly what you just described gave him mobility freedom now he'd get to school in 10 minutes instead of a half an hour mm-hmm. um you know all that kind of stuff and it's actually really touching to be able to make that level of contribution so
3: Don, and I would encourage you to keep doing that. Um, bicycle collectives and co-ops, like the one I run, that's exactly how we operate. We get bikes donated by the thousands each year, and we repair, refurbish, or recycle them. Um, most bikes have two to three lives. And so, um, we can keep upgrading and refurbishing and serving bi- servicing bikes, and that's exactly what we do. We sell bikes in our shop, used refurbished bikes, and we use those proceeds to be able to provide bicycles to people in need. Yeah, Thank and it's a,
5: great, it's a great hands-on mechanical training thing. I mean, we're in an age of digital stuff, but to have a bicycle where you're taking the chain off and <laughs> figuring out how to put things back together and change out your pedals or whatever. All of that, I think, is a a really good thing for us to maintain for kids as they grow older.
1: Lots to talk about. Thank you. Donna, what a thread we started. John, let's go to your predictions. I'm ready for you. Proceed.
5: Yeah, so I I didn't um, pick just one. I I said, let me look at a handful of different things and things that I've been thinking about. And one thing I wanted to share with you, I think it was um, Harry Dent in the year 2000 said, we're going to have Dow 36,000. And it seemed to be a ridiculous concept at the time because it was like, how are we going to get from, and I think at the time it was 8 or 12,000 on the Dow. And it was like, Dow 36,000, impossible. And yet here we are, but 20 years later, (laughs) and we we hit Dow 36,000 this year. And what I thought was predictions are interesting because you have a, either it's going to be positive or negative, right? You're going to say, hey, we're going to have this positive outcome or I predict something else is going to happen. And then the other issue is the timeline. Like, when will this happen? And in the case of Dent, obviously, he was off, and so he probably lost some credibility. And we never go back and check to say, well, did this really happen or did it not? But I think the idea of having a positive future where you say, this thing could happen, I believe it's gonna happen and I'm gonna share my vision of what that will be. And some of them are just trends. You know, we, we see things happening anyway, and we just assume that, okay, well, we're gonna go in that direction. So based on that, I have a couple of things that are um, sort of trend related or <laughs> it's it's funny. One one other comment I wanna mention is that the kinds of things that happen often are so unexpected. I mean you know Don was talking about the metaverse and a lot of people don't believe that that can happen or how is it going to happen or do we have Oculus headsets on our head or how do we do this Um, but you know it's interesting it's like how are we going to do that anyway I'll just move forward with uh, the things that I had so I had Dow 40,000 by year-end in spite of what's happening today (laughs) Um, so we have 12 months to work on that Um, I agree with Don regarding the blockchain and AI will be everywhere in 10 years. i talked a little bit about that, uh, I think, in the past. But the idea of what's happening with, I mean, people talk Bitcoin, but they don't really understand necessarily what's happening with the blockchain. And that companies are investing in that, looking at it and saying, how can this infiltrate other systems? And one of the things I ran across, um, which again, people following this are familiar with, is a GPT-3 which is an AI company out of um, San Francisco they they're at the point where they have natural language where you know it's relatively like really pretty good where they are able now to you know do reports or do news stories or whatever just from a few cues given to the system um, and so as I followed that and read about it I thought really pretty impressive and if you marry that with you know some of these cyber dolls or whatever um, you end up with um, or or what's happening with you know virtual reality and stuff you end up in a situation where you can actually have newscasters who are prompted but they're not even real so I think this whole Hmm. idea of like what is real and what is not particularly in a a video universe, um, it's going to be hard to predict. Okay, so I have another one.
1: <laughs> one more, because one more, we've got to keep on time. Go ahead.
5: Good. So this, oh, this is short, and I'll just, like, say it and then get off the air here.
6: Okay. <laughs>
5: okay. <laughs> um, China will have a moon base uh, by 2030, you know? Continue with the dominance of what they're doing, etc., and then they will, like, say, hey, we're going to, like, plant our flag on the moon. There you go.
1: There you go. Thank you very much. Watch for the media campaign. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. I want to go. Thank you, John. Ursula Wong, let's move on. Ursula,
6: can't wait to hear your predictions. Talk to us. Hello from New England. Um, This is the uh, publishing segment of your show because I'm going to talk about publishing too. So um, I've been at it for about 10 years and I started with small press. I still publish with small press. I had the opportunity to learn how to produce a book when it amounted to uh, a good part of it amounted to changing Microsoft Word settings so that your book displayed properly on the printed page and so that it displayed properly in a device like a Kindle. And it was a little bit of a black art, it was a highly specialized thing. And so we did this for years. Um, I studied uh, how to do this, I taught people how to do this. Flash forward to last November. I was um, honored to uh, 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 speak at uh, a, a, Boston, a New England regional uh, writers' conference called Crime Bake. It was sponsored by Mystery Writers of America and mm-hmm. Sisters in Crime. And I was talking about book design. And I had just taught this class a year and a half ago. So as part of preparing the material... I looked at what was available on the market for book design, and I saw all sorts of tools popping up. Uh, There's a a tool um, that helps you produce a children's book. There are tools that used to only work on the Mac that now work on the Windows platform. There are all sorts of editing tools popping up. So I think 2022 is going to be the year of book production tools, and here is why you care. You care because... Um, As a writer who perhaps goes with a traditional publishing house, you can take a hiatus and use these tools to do a nice little anthology of the stories that you've collected over the last few years. And you can actually produce it and get it on the market yourself with these tools. Um, You can, um, uh, uh, Donna, you you can write about, you know, how I learned to ride my bike, Bonnie, we're waiting for your memoir. These tools are <laughs> It's you <don't>, coming. <laughs> you don't have to learn the intricacies of Microsoft Word and all sorts of other things and, you know, widgets on um, video, uh, on, on tools that change um, images. The tools do it for you, and they're coming. And I think it's just going to change um, uh, the ability of, you know, traditionally published writers to produce and for those who want to just Do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, Independent or DIY writers, um, they will be able to publish books without learning so much of the infrastructure that was necessary just, you know, five, six years ago. So I think we're going to see a lot of new books. I think we're going to see a lot of new writers, and I am excited. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and what about your plans, Ursula? You have more historical novels, more strong women meeting challenges and facing their dreams and the obstacles and climbing those mountains. And I'm, I'm a big supporter of that. So any, any plans? Any more books in the hopper, if you will, or in the pipeline?
6: Amber Spy is the latest. It's going to be out this spring. It um, looks at Russian espionage and how that affected the Baltic countries, which, uh, you know, place of my ancestral birth. And how espionage in Russia has changed over the years to be um, actually more open. It's still espionage, but it's more open. Russians don't hide the fact that they're Russians anymore in the espionage Mm -hmm. business. They, um, They can, but they just openly, you know, travel as Russians. They speak Russian. They proclaim the Russian culture as their own. And, you know, they just have this little side job where they might be, you know, calling the Russian intelligence service with information. From
1: time <laughs> I to time. see. A little side job. Thank you very Thank you. much. Ursula. Happy to have you on. BJ, you're up. Talk to us. Well, any, any more? I want to know about any more novels. How many poisons are you going to introduce in 2022? Talk to us. BJ,
7: welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. It's great to be here again. Uh, Yes, I have plenty of poisons coming up in the next book, uh, which we can talk about a little bit later. But I want to continue on this theme about publishing, about what we're seeing in the author uh, community, the reader community. Um, As you all know, the pandemic has really changed the way we live. And I think in 2020, we thought, well, once 2020 gets by, we'll be back to normal. Uh, Book tours were canceled, readings at libraries were canceled, conferences were canceled, uh, not only in uh, writing communities, but also even in medical communities, many of the things that we would normally attend were canceled. Go to 2021, more of the same, it didn't change. We have adapted. And I think the silver lining here is that although we will we will still be able to gather uh, probably in the summer and have those conferences? Ursula, I was at Crime Bake too, and I know it was so wonderful to be together. The silver lining is we have adapted to, to the hybrid model. We can now do virtual book launches. We can do virtual book clubs. We can do virtual meetings. Um, the advantages here. You get more people who are involved with your books. Um, I've been able to do book clubs in the South, not just in New England, because I can beam into someone's home who's read my books. They can ask questions of the author. It makes the reading experience so much more rich. And I think that's been a true silver lining that we can hold on to. the book industry did suffer a little bit in 2020. Uh, in 2021, we saw about a 40 percent increase in book sales, which was great. And I'm hoping that in 2022, those book sales will get back to pre-pandemic levels. So that's the short of it. Um, you asked about poisons. Poison yes. is still very popular in books. Um, I've, I've read a lot of manuscripts that are coming up, and people love to have that as an option. Remember, it's a silent, sort of non-violent way for characters to to be killed off, and so I think that's why people uh, like it. It's it's subtle, and this has been something through the ages. I mean, way back, uh, for those of you who read my Poison blog, um, we talk about poisons, uh, you know, back in the day of Socrates and and how, and how that all came about. So um, it's very interesting. And um, again, like Ursula said, I have, a, I have a book coming out also in the spring, in April.
1: Thank you very much, BJ. I want to know, has anybody on this panel watched the TV series? It's on Prime, uh, Death in Paradise. Has anybody watched it? It's a detective show that takes place on a fictitious island called Sainte-Marie. Sylvie, and Mm -hmm. uh, there's some Brits there, there's some French there, there's people who were born, there are people who are born in the Caribbean, Caribbean, however you say it, and what's interesting is each show solves, uh, the crime is committed early in the show, and then you see the police force, the, pol- the the chief, the superior to him, the commissioner, and a couple of sergeants, and then somebody named Dwayne, who's always around for the ride, trying to solve it. But one of the, the iconic moments, the way they've developed the solution, BJ and Ursula and anybody else who writes, is that they say... Get everybody together in the room at the hotel, or on the porch, or on the lanai, and they seat all of the suspects around this room or whatever the platform is. And they say, "You did such and such. You killed." And then the person, said, "No idea." He said, "We know you didn't." And then they go around, and then finally they name in front of everybody. They name who did it, how they did it, how they figured out the little clues. And the chief detective, the the uh, uh, inspector, always has this revelation. He'll be eating spaghetti, or he'll be out for a bike ride, Donna, or something, and They'll say, oh, and everybody says, you've got to go. Yes, sir. I've got it. I've got it. Get everybody together. And this has become the mantra. I'm in season six and the lead actors have left the show over and over and they keep getting new people on the show, which is kind of interesting. We just lost somebody. Anyway, it's, it's fascinating. But the reason I mentioned it, BJ, is that recently a woman died at a, a faith healing Conference. She was. She was brought. She was losing her eyesight. Heal me, heal me, heal me. And she dropped dead. And she gave herself poison from her purse into the holy water that she was being, or the the water, the miracle water. And they found a little wrapper in her purse, and somebody saw the wrapper, so it was poison, self inflicted. It was a suicide. But everybody, anyway. So that's what made me think of that. But anybody, if anybody's looking at, and if you don't have time for the whole series, there's a series called the best. I think it's the best of Death in Paradise or the best of Paradise, and they pick their favorite 10 episodes over the many years so you can see the best of the best and it's very very delightful let's move on sylvie has been so patient my dear sylvie i'm putting you on full screen take your time you can have about five minutes for your predictions and then we'll do a quick wrap-up go ahead sylvie
4: yeah so thank you to give a voice to europe and france when you're all over the states and I'm, I'm i'm glad to be there uh in the middle of so many talented people I'm just uh, I feel small at the moment really uh, what I wanted to share with you is that uh, our world is changing now um, of course grace to also grace to technology but in the past we had you know two separate words uh, the online word and the in life word so let me give you some example. Uh, like um, you shop online, or you shop in, the, in a shop, uh, in the streets, or you meet in person, or you meet online, or uh, you uh, talk to a chatbot, or you talk to someone when you when you want to interact with uh, with uh, retail, or you read books online, or you read books uh, in your hand, right, as a paper. Or you use your bank online, or you go to your bank, uh, and you have the the type of people who said, "Oh, uh, I, I don't. I just read books on paper. I don't go online, or I just shop uh, online, and I don't go to shops anymore, um, or I just have my bike, or I take a bike to go. I use an app to 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 rent that bike, and I and I take it to go." And, and now it's changing. It, it's really, uh, one example also I forgot is you, you work at the office or you work online at home. And, and, and now finally it's changing. You can work from anywhere. So you just, uh, someone talked about the hybrid model. And I think in our life, uh, we do everything and we, and we will do everything. We will at the same time, shop online and maybe uh, get what we want in the store uh, or we will go in the store and we will be uh, moved to shop online um you can meet in person and then say the next meeting we will do online and and grace to technology we we just mix our lives like this and and it's really going to change um and and people will will change their uh, the the way they they live uh, with uh, with technology. Um, and, I, and and I think I always I was talking to to someone in retail uh, who said uh, he has an e-commerce uh, site and also he had store. he has stores. And he said, I, I don't know how to drive people into my stores uh, because the the one that works is the one that is in the subway, but the others uh, are in uh, in malls, and, and it's not necessarily working. And I say, why, why don't you drive your traffic from your e-commerce site, and 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 also how why don't you, for example, make discount in your stores? And uh, on the labels, you drive them to your e-commerce site. So there's a kind of mixture that operates in the future, grace to technology, and nobody will will say I'm on one side on the other side. They, they will use both. And I think uh, that's my DNA already. This is why I... I'm like, um, uh, one of you saying I'm a teenager. Yeah. I'm a teenager inside. Don's a
1: millennial. Yes. Don's a millennial.
4: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I I am. I am really. And I, and I think I, I love to read books, but I, I can start a book on paper and I forgot my book. And then I finish on my, on my tablet, the book, the same book uh, online. I mean, why not? It's, uh, when I travel, I use my tablet and when I'm at home, I, I, I use the paper um I, I can uh i can do the same with my car uh, uh just uh i can share my car with others through an app or um or i can rent a car or i can uh, uh take a car uh, as to go uh with and, and technology drives this i think it's without technology we we cannot do it uh so let's um let, let's go into that word. Uh, it's not averse, uh, not yet, but, uh, but I mean, uh, you don't have people that, that are living one way or the other way. We, we, we will all get to that.
1: Thank you, Sylvie. Very, very interesting. I I had never thought about starting a book hardcover or paperback and finishing it online. I had I had never thought of that. Uh, one of my issues. I I do a Monday night show on creativity, and I very often get authors and they their book on the the reader service that starts with a K. You all know that and ends with an E, and a certain. Uh, platform that's iOS last year in their latest upgrade disabled access to that K blank, blank, blank e-platform. So I can't get books that way anymore. I have to ask for a different format, which is very interesting to me. But that's interesting. And, and I'll tell you one quick hybrid, Sylvie, that, that I don't know if you have it in Europe, but here, if you order something on Amazon, you buy it on Amazon, you get it in for some reason. It, it You don't like it. It's broken. It it didn't meet what they advertised. All of the reasons you might check, you get a return code and you go to the call. Kohl's department store, there's a, an orange arrow that says go here. You go to the return desk. You don't have to wrap it. You don't have to pack it. You put it on the desk. You hold up your phone or your whatever your device is with the QR code of the return that Amazon gave you. They scan it. They take it from you and they hand you a receipt to shop right there in Kohl's with either a $5 instant free credit Or shop in the next 24 hours of the next three weeks and you get a a store credit to buy something at Kohl's. So there is a partnership that I find fascinating between Amazon, probably one of the world's top digital retailers, and Kohl's, a brick and mortar store. And I thought that was a wonderful partnership. I talked about that the other day with another guest. Thank you, Sylvie. Thank you to everyone. By the the way, sorry,
4: I I forgot to tell that because uh, in my bio, maybe it wasn't written. I wrote a book as well.
1: Well, what was it? What is it?
4: Mastering Social Selling Like a Boss, it's uh, it's a book about social media.
1: There you go. And I think a lot of my guests would love to read that. So thank you very much. I want to go around the table quickly. I'm going to ask you all one question. I need a uh, one sentence or less answer. What was your favorite drink over the holidays? It could even be water. Don't worry, I'm not getting personal here. So let's go around the table. I'm looking at you virtually. Don DeLoach, what were you drinking over the holiday? Unmute, please. Don, you're muted, dear. Red wine. What kind of red wine? Cabernet? Uh, What were you? What what were you drinking? What red? Um, Mostly cab. Okay, mostly cab. Ursula Wong, what were you drinking over the holidays?
6: I'm a writer. Bourbon on the rocks.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, now we know. Anybody want to call yourself Matt? Matt Koss, what were you drinking?
6: I'm a
0: writer.
7: Okay, we got that one. BJ, what were you
0: <laughs>
7: BJ, what were you drinking? I'm a writer, but it's champagne for me, right from the French champagne houses.
1: There you go. Good. Donna, unmute please. What were you
3: drinking? I'm a writer at heart too, and I wrote a book as well, and I drink uh high west bourbon rye combination called Boo Rye. Wow, and you said writer, and that, that rhymes, That that's a, uh, I don't know what the
1: word is for it, rider, writer, writer. So there we go. You got both covered, Donna. Sylvie, what were you drinking over the holiday?
4: Yeah, well, champagne, of course, and rosé.
1: Okay. Uh, not,
4: not white champagne. And uh, French champagne, you don't need to tell that champagne is French because it's uh, an obligation. Uh, you just <laughs> French champagne doesn't exist
5: John,
1: anywhere. So I got to go. I, John, what were you drinking?
5: Uh, Cabernet. Now. Okay,
1: everybody, here's our closing. I want you to w- get up and wag your finger. Come on, wag your finger at the screen. Wag your finger. There you go. If somebody says to you, the future is already here, on the count of three, join me with no, no, no. One, two, three. No, no, no. no. no, no. 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 Why? Because that was yesterday's future and today's future hasn't happened yet. And we're all here to make it a better one. Everybody wave goodbye. Thank my special guest. Thank Aaron Keller, my engineer extraordinaire at Voice America. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. We'll be back next week with more interesting shows on new topics. We're talking about writers next week. Listen, watch all year long. Happy New Year belatedly to everyone and let's make it a better one. Darn it. Bye-bye.